Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Rachel Myro. Mm. Oh, yeah. Mmm, oysters. That's KQED reporter Chloe Veltman conducting what is obviously grueling research for our podcast, Bay Curious. Native Olympia oysters, or ollies for short, range from Alaska to Mexico, and they used to be abundant in the San Francisco Bay. We'll hear why they've all but disappeared and what efforts are underway to bring them back. Later in the hour, we'll hear from Dr. Peter Chin Hong, infectious disease specialist at UCSF Medical Center, about our future with face masks in a post-vaccine world. All that's next on Forum, right after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Rachel Myro. Native Olympia oysters, or ollies, prized by indigenous peoples, were once abundant in the San Francisco Bay. But during the gold rush era, demand from oyster-loving newcomers outstripped supply. Also, miners dumped a lot of toxic sediment into the bay. Fast forward to today, and still wouldn't want to eat an ollie from local waters. Let's talk about their ideal place in the ecosystem and why so many people still think of them as a tasty treat with Chloe Veltman, reporter for KQED News, and Linda Hunter, founder of the Wild Oyster Project. Chloe, tell me first, how did those oysters you ate taste and where were they from? Well, Rachel, um, I had never had an Olympia or Ollie before I researched this story. Tough assignment, I know. And uh, they taste quite different to the Pacific varieties that most of us are familiar with here, like the Miyagi's. These Ollie's are very pungent and they have a somewhat coppery metallic taste. Uh, And, you know, I quite liked them um you know they're definitely a bit of an acquired taste and the ones that I got they're not from the San Francisco Bay obviously because we we don't have commercial fishing here because of pollution levels and such right right now so mine came from Washington State via the Hog Island Oyster Company which which does supply a few of them. Uh, Linda, I guess you can tell us about the range that Chloe is talking about, right? Uh, Ollie's range all the way from north of British Columbia down to Baja, California, right? That's that's correct. So, so we're for, for scientists who are trying to, you know, uh, expand cultivation of of Ollie's uh, locally here in the San Francisco Bay and, and environs. Where are they getting their Ollie's from? From locally, or are they stretching to other parts of the West Coast? The Olympia oysters that are in the bay are remnant populations. So, um, when an oyster is born, it actually swims around for a bit um, 
from 10 to 12 days, looking to make the most important decision of its life, where it will settle. So it's actually swimming around the bay looking for other oysters. Sadly, there's not a lot of oysters for them to find and to attach to. Um, but they're out there. And um, the Wild Oyster Project is hoping to provide some substrate um, for the oysters to attach to. The oyster's favorite substrate is other oysters. And that's how you come by an oyster reef. Well, where do you get those, those uh, that oyster substrate? Do you get them from local restaurants? We collect shells through our Save Your Shucks program from local restaurants, um, and we cure the shell for a few years um, to make certain that there's no pathogens or nasty stuff left on, because they're not... We're not collecting native oyster shell. We're collecting um, the type of shell that you would typically eat on your dollar oyster nights with your friends. Um, and it's a Pacific oyster shell primarily. And we dry out the oyster shell and then we um, create, there's, there's many ways to create a reef. You can, you can create reef balls. You can put bagged shell into the water. You can make cakes with them. Um, and you can attach them to parts of seawalls. The idea is to just provide a welcoming environment uh, and then cross your fingers and hope the remnant populations find them and attach to them. This sounds like, you know, a lot of effort. Why for you personally is it so important? All right. Hello there, guys. I'm back. <laughs> I think. Hello, Rachel. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, welcome to working from home. Uh, the pandemic. <laughs> uh, oh my goodness. Well, well, uh, Linda, let me get back to to the question I was going to ask before I disappeared from view, uh, so to speak, in an auditory sense. Why is it so important to you to bring the ollie back? Oh, can you hear me, Linda? No luck? So, Chloe, I, let me ask you a question. What was the most surprising thing for you uh, doing the research uh, beyond just eating the olive? Um, well, I did not realize um, quite how important oysters are to maintaining ecosystems. You know, I mean, the efforts to restore them, to bring the population back, uh, are not just for the sake of restoring oysters. Um, they are about restoring. And I'm going to restoring... have you hold that thought right there as we're pumping up onto a, a break. Uh, oh. We are talking with Chloe Veltman, KQED news reporters, about the past, present, and future of the native Olympia oyster. Hopefully we will be rejoined shortly by Linda Hunter, founder of the Wild Oyster Project. What are your questions about oysters? Any which way? Give us a call at 866-733-6786, that's 866-733-6786, or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. This is Barbara Leslie, President of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way, 
from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. You're listening to Forum. I'm Rachel Myro, and we're talking about the past, present, and future of the native Olympia oyster. And we have got Jonathan from the Presidio on the line. Uh, Jonathan, thank you for being here today. Yeah, hi. Thanks for having me. So so what can you tell us about efforts to bring the Ollie back in bigger numbers to the San Francisco Bay? Um, yeah, so we've been doing a lot of restoration here in the Presidio over the years. And one of the most recent additions to that is um, the Quartermaster Reach Intertidal Wetlands, which is basically an extension of the Chrissy Field Marsh that was restored and created around 20 years ago. And what we're doing is we are uh, basically creating habitat that was paved over over the last century plus and providing what is required for these oysters and many other marine animals to uh, thrive. So we're pretty excited about this and we're doing fairly small scale research with some folks down at Moss Landing Marine Laboratories and um, some other folks at the California College of the Arts to better understand what little tweaks can we make and modifications can we make and what kind of habitat and specifically what types of structure can we provide to improve, enhance, and sustain marine wildlife such as the Olympia oysters. And there's a lot to learn and we're, we're uh, pretty excited about what we're doing. And Linda, how, do, how does the Wild Oyster Project interact with programs like the one we're hearing about from the Presidio? Um, we actually consulted on that project several years ago, um, and made some recommendations to them. I was actually quite surprised that, uh, a free floating, um, baby oyster, um, could make it into the marsh because, um, the water goes so swiftly through the, the gate. Um, so I was absolutely thrilled when to hear that um, some had found their way into the new marsh at Christie Field and, and were, were thriving there. So I, I think it's wonderful that um, the trust and uh, with all the hard work of people like Jonathan um, provided them some substrate and that uh, they're going to have a living reef right there where people can see it. So um, it seems like maybe Rachel's audio is going out again. So I have been asked to take over. Um, so I, I think we've been joined by Vincent Medina, uh, fabulous Ohlone chef and food activist. He's based in the East Bay. His people have been based in the East Bay for long, long, long time. Hi, Vincent. Thank you for, for being with us today. Hello. Thank you for, for opening up the space so that we can share our story. It was so fantastic to get to chat with you for this uh, story I did. And would you um, please could you tell us a little bit about your family and oysters and that the relationship that goes back thousands of years? Absolutely. I'd like to start by saying that's how we say hello in Chochenyo, which is the indigenous language of the East Bay, the language of my family. 
I was uh, grateful to be able to, sh to speak with you, Chloe, uh, previously on that article that, that came out, to be able to describe the cultural connections that come with these oysters uh, for us as Ohlone people. Um, these, uh, these Olympia oysters that are indigenous to the west coast of California, the west coast of much of North America, um, they've been loved by our family for too many generations to ever count. These oysters, along with mussels and clams, abalone, over generations, they've been, um, they've, been, they've been eaten by our people. But beyond just being eaten as a source of substance and a source of nourishment, they've also contributed to our, our shell mounds. Shell mounds for us as Ohlone people are these massive mortuary complexes that ring the bay shore. And these shell mounds, over time, they became so large, some of them for comparison, even larger than pyramids in Egypt. These shell mounds are where our ancestors, our direct ancestors, would be laid down to rest after they passed. And in a very ceremonial way, yeah. layers of shell would be, um, would be placed uh, over them. And over thousands of years, thousands and thousands of years, these shell mounds would just soar into the sky, which again is a testament to how long our people have been right here in the East Bay. Mounds were destroyed um, over a long time. And, um, and also obviously the native oyster habitats have been destroyed a lot too. Um, what are your thoughts about current efforts to bring the native oyster back to the San Francisco Bay and the input that, that you and your tribe uh, might provide to, to these efforts? Well, it gives me a lot of hope to be able to see restoration happen. We know that destruction can be such a quick thing. Uh, it, could, uh, it could happen so quickly in the blink of an eye. Healing, it could take so long, sometimes several lifespans healing can take. And to know that our community is still right here in this exact space where I'm speaking to you from along San Lorenzo and San Leandro Creeks, where these oyster, um, these oysters traditionally would be gathered right along the bay shore. This is where my family has consistently lived with no disconnect, with no break. And that's testament to the undeniable strength of all those generations before us. We have seen the landscape also change over time, over generations, but we've also seen an immense amount of native habitat and of course our culture as well, be able to be protected and continued on. We want people to know that our story, it's not just associated only with loss and defeat, but also responding to the struggles that came and victory and triumphs that allow us to continue to be here. And that's only as a result of our generations before us. We owe them so much. And that's why this work is so important to us. But to be able to see restoration happen, it gives me personally a lot of, um, a lot of hope for what's possible with the healing of the land, with being able to see our bay become a, a cleaner place, to be able to see those native plants, which, which um, are so interconnected with land stewardship and also having a, a strong environment. Um, those interconnections are, are so important. Being able to see those flourish, it gives me a lot of hope. Thank you for those thoughts, Vincent. We're getting some phone calls. So let's go first to Shirley in Alameda. 
Uh, yeah, hi. Good morning. Thank you so much for taking my call. This is uh, a fascinating subject to me. I'm curator of a project called Natural Discourse, and we have a show up in San Francisco. It's free, open to the public. It's about oysters, and it's in storefront windows at Levy Art and Architecture at 2501 Bryant Street in the Mission. Uh, we worked with uh, David Janesco, an, uh, an artist that uh, made pinhole cameras inside of Pacific oyster shells. He was doing a residency in Oysterville, Washington. So he took picture, photographs of the trees in the area. The project is called Forest Oysters. And we also worked with Jonathan Young at the Presidio and Louis Stringer. Uh, we have uh, oyster reef balls on, exhi- on exhibit and the architectural panels that uh, Evan and Margaret designed for the Quartermaster reef-, reef Project. So if anybody wants more information and to actually see some real live art, including video projections um, that are visible in the evening, um, wander on by. It's free, open to the public. It's you see it from the sidewalk. Thank you so much for that, Shirley. Uh, Chloe, you know, one of the things I, I think a lot of people may not realize is that there are populations of, of Ollie's all over the San Francisco Bay Area, not just in the San Francisco Bay, but also the Elkhorn Slough uh, at, at Eden Landing in the East Bay, even in Marin County. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the, the the native populations are, you know, coming back all over the place, Rachel. Um, there's efforts uh, not just in, in the Bay Area, not just up the West Coast, but all over the country to try and restore these populations because they are so integral to the, the overall restoration of, of, of shorelines. I mean, so many different species depend on, on, on oysters uh, in like the rocky habitats are great for eelgrass, egrets, uh, all sorts of creatures, different fish. Uh, Jonathan, uh, can you jump in here and, and tell us a little bit more about what it is the oysters do to, to help uh, uh, sort of achieve a healthy ecosystem and maintain a healthy ecosystem? Yeah, absolutely. So they're, um, they're what we would call uh, ecosystem engineers in terms of their role in the environment and how their presence actually promotes healthier ecosystems through their biology. For example, their filter feeding. So they're they're constantly sucking in the water, filtering out the particulates as their food, and pumping out relatively cleaner water. So they reduce things like turbidity and and again other particulates like floating algaes and things like that on a microscopic level. But every little bit counts and adds up. And and in fact, their presence actually encourages more oysters to settle and grow. So it creates this feedback loop. And the more oysters, the more settling occurs, the more settling, the more oysters, and it grows bigger and bigger. And their presence is structure. So we think of them sometimes as reefs. And that structure itself provides habitat for other smaller or larger invertebrates and vertebrates, such as uh, juvenile fish. So more places for these baby fish to grow and nooks and crannies within the oyster reefs to hide. And so their presence really cascades throughout the ecosystem and plays off these other checks and balances in other organisms, and it creates a feedback loop, a positive feedback loop. So the more oysters, it just continues to cascade through the ecosystem. 
I suppose, Jonathan Young, that, uh, you know, we're a a long ways away from uh, the pollution situation in the Bay being cleaned up to the extent that we might want to eat these guys again. Uh, But but how far off do you do you see a fully healthy ecosystem being? Uh, Well, you know, to be honest with you, I can't really speak to that. I think that is a really big question. And, of course, every little area of the Bay has its own unique dynamics, all the way closer to the Delta versus all the way out to the Gate, all the way to the South Bay, et cetera. So that's a really big question, and that's why, uh, you know, as a group, as a community, as a network, all of these different teams are coming together focusing on our bay and have been doing so for decades now. And we still, I I feel like we still have a long way to go. We've made uh, some terrific strides. And the the small-scale work that we're doing here in the Presidio, really small-scale relative to the size of the the issue at hand, but these tiny little pilot projects really teach us a tremendous amount that we can hopefully apply elsewhere and start to ratchet up on a bigger and bigger scale as we continue to build our network. Linda, any thoughts on on the near future for the uh, Olympia? Um, I I think um, Jonathan's absolutely right. The small pilot projects will continue to grow, and um, what what the Wild Oyster Project is about is about engaging communities to help with the the restoration, um, because we we feel very strongly that without community involvement in the ecological restoration projects have little hope for success, but being involved in ecological projects leads to empowerment by giving everyone the opportunity to contribute to conservation and to invest in their local ecosystems. So that's one of the reasons why we're very excited about the, the project in the Presidio is because there's you know, thousands of people who walk by that marsh every day and, um, and they can, um, uh, wonder about, um, the Olympia oyster and, um, perhaps they can get engaged in the actual restoration. Chloe, I'm, I'm wondering, given your research into the topic, if you can talk a little bit about how common oysters were in uh, the mid-19th century, although even by then they were being imported. There was even a phrase, as common as oysters. Yes, um, there's a, uh, an ecological historian I spoke with, Matthew Booker, who's written uh, an entire book called Down by the Bay, all about this topic. And he likes to say that the oysters to the, the uh, gold rush people were like Big Macs. It was such a dietary staple. But as you say, Rachel, even by the sort of mid, mid to late uh, 18, uh, 19th century, that oyster population of Olympia oysters was not necessarily as abundant in the San Francisco Bay as it, as it had been thousands of years before. Before, um, you know, the slow sea level rise had basically um, made it very made it a struggle for for the native population, which likes these rocky, hard surfaces 
to uh, glom onto it, that, that the, all the mud and the sand that had been washed down, uh, first of all, by sea level rise and then by mining kind of made that very hard for those ollies to, to survive. So yes, there were ollies in the bay when the miners were here and, uh, and, and the oysters were so popular. There was such high demand for them um, that we, we should mention that there were oyster pirates uh, that would get into the bay there and, and basically steal them uh, by night and then sell them in the markets in Oakland by day. Actually, Jack London was an oyster pirate before he became a famous author. And he writes about this in, in um, the, the business of being an oyster pirate in, in several of his works, including John Barleycorn. The winds wow. of adventure blew the oyster pirate sloops up and down San Francisco Bay. From raided oyster beds and fights at night on shoal and flat, to markets in the morning against city wharves, where peddlers and saloon keepers came down to buy. Every raid on an oyster bed was a felony. The penalty was state imprisonment, the stripes and the lockstep. And what of that? The men in stripes worked a shorter day than I at my machine. And there was vastly more romance in being an oyster pirate or a convict than in being a machine slave. And behind it all, behind all of me with youth a bubble, whispered romance, adventure. Romance, adventure. I guess, Chloe, there is something about the the oyster that uh, captures the imagination. Um, and maybe we're we're just headed to a, a better future where we can we can find a way to enjoy them and yet not kill them off. Yes, I certainly hope so, Rachel. That will be a wonderful thing when uh, and it's happening already. It's happening already. Any any last thoughts, Linda? I'd want to encourage people to uh, get involved. Um, you can go to our website, which is www.wildoysters.org, and you can sign up to be a volunteer. You can help with oyster collection and uh, curing. And when it's time for us to build a reef, you can help us build a reef. Jonathan. Uh, echoing what Linda yeah. just said, encourage people to use uh, to get involved. And one thing in particular, you can help everybody out, everybody who's curious about what's living out in the Bay and in our general areas by using and sharing your observations on the app called iNaturalist.org. That you might be seeing a population of oysters somewhere that hasn't been seen in 100 plus years. And sharing that allows people like myself and this group to know what's going on out there so that helps us and i'd also encourage people to come visit our new restoration site quartermaster reach out here in the presidio it's a beautiful site it's uh it's a beautiful site we'll leave it there jonathan i'm sorry the conversation had to be so truncated we've been talking with jonathan young wildlife ecologist with the presidio trust chloe veltman reporter for kqed news linda hunter founder of the wild oyster project and vincent medina East Bay Ohlone, cultural leader and co-founder of Cafe Ohlone in Berkeley. You've been listening to us talk about the native Olympia oyster in the San Francisco Bay, past, present, and future. Stay with us. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, 
The smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found you. How? You'll have to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. A young correctional officer. He said it was the most dangerous prison in California. Forced to make a choice. Fulfill his oath or back his fellow officers. Recognize the badge of my office. I'm Suki Lewis. From KQED Podcasts comes On Our Watch Season 2, New Folsom. A story about who gets hurt when the system that promises to keep us safe is bent on protecting itself. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts.